combat chain i am your host patrick shaw and i am with the returning hero coming from the motherland adam Philpchuk. adam how are we doing today hey pat we're doing great uh, it's uh bittersweet to be back home um we're uh it's, it's you know always nice to be back and cozy at home and be back with our animals but Missing, missing the motherland a little bit. Uh, it was nice to be chit-chatting with people in French all the time and get, you know, a, a fresh baguette on the corner for uh, one euro and go sit in the park with a, a baguette and a beer and can't just can't do that here. And it's... No, yeah. no, you can't. How does, how does the food in Lille uh, stack up to the the legends of Parisian cuisine. Is that, is that like kind of a hot spot for food there? I mean, you can get really good food all throughout, uh, France. No problem. Uh, yeah, we, we had no problem eating well, while we were in, in Lille. Was, was it, was it food conducive of, of a long weekend tournament where you really need all your all your nutrients so that you're at your your peak ability or is a lot of like delicious bakery good stuff i mean you can find you can find a a bit of everything like there's mcdonald's on the street corner if you're looking for something fast and you don't care uh you can Mm -hmm. You can find like during the day there's there's cafes that have sandwiches and things like that, and then um a little if you're willing to wait a little later at night, restaurants open up and you can find um you can find pretty good food that way that's the the big thing though is there like what they're used to and when things open is not conducive to like early tournament mornings. It's, it's hard on a, on a Sunday morning. It's hard to find a place that opens before 9am. Ah, a casual weekend attitude in France, is it? Oh, very much so. Like it's, uh, well, even like places don't, they they don't have the the early get up and go like like North America does that's for sure the, the high octane and adrenaline inducing anxiety causing pressure filled lifestyle that we have over here yeah that it's, it's almost, some it's almost like other other places might do it a little better i don't know but that's neither here nor there. We have uh, we have a great episode today. We're going to talk a little bit about the whirlwind that has been the last couple of weeks. And later on in the show, we are going to have a chat with Nate and Jotrick from Flesh and Blood Online. Yeah, super, uh, super great to have those guys on. Get a little more insight as to what's, what's going on behind the scenes with uh, Fabo or uh, Talishar. Yeah, we're actually... Right. So where we have, um, you know, through the magic of 
editing and schedules, we we recorded the interview before before we're doing this part right now. So in in the time that has elapsed since the interview to right now, uh, they have introduced a change to fleshandbloodonline.com. Very specifically, they are changing their URL to, as you were saying, talishar.net. That's right. And uh, straight from the horse's mouth in their Discord, uh, Nate... Uh, says they will have a so they will have a redirect so flesh and blood online will will still function in the in the interim um it'll just it will just redirect you to talishard.net uh but nate says in the discord to be clear uh, and this is quote to be clear lss didn't ask us to change or anything we just felt that this was the right thing to do we looked at the other popular online simulators and they all have similar in universe names but don't use the name of the game directly so um, he, uh, he adds, uh, now that the site has attracted a lot more attention, we were afraid people might think that we are an official LSS site. So one big reason to emphasize, we are a fan project doing this in our spare time. We also wanted to change from a .com to a .net since we're not a company. Also, Flesh and Blood Online is kind of a long thing to say and also type. <laughs> uh, that comes straight from uh, the monk... Uh, A.K.A. Neat, one of the uh, he is the lead dev for Flesh and Blood Online. Yeah, so so on top of all that, uh, we have uh, a lot of things to cover in a short amount of time. But the the biggest thing that we haven't gotten an actual chance to talk about, Adam, is the Living Legend announcement that came with the scheduled, banned, and suspended uh, announcement on August thirtieth where Prism finally made Living Legend status, and it happened in Lil, but this time at the at the calling. As we know, Pro Tour Lil was won by Matthew Folks, who we interviewed shortly after his Pro Tour victory, and you can see that on our channel if you go onto YouTube and find us at the Combat Chain Podcast, hashtag, hashtag shameless plug. Uh, but the calling was won by Joris... Verhelst, piloting Prism Sculpture of Light, defeating uh, Wojtek Klimchek, uh, piloting Briar Warden of Thorns in the finals of the 578-person Classic Instructed event to become 2022 Calling Little Champion and see Prism become a living legend. Um, we have, of course, so first of all, so no more Prism, Adam. Uh, initial now that we've had some time to digest this, but when it happened, what, what is what was your initial impression or feelings when Prism finally kicked the can here? For me, it's it's a, a lot of different uh, a lot of different thoughts go through my mind because for starters, we though we didn't you know we weren't a a, a Prism aficionado by any means. Uh, I had a lot of fun playing her uh from time to time and to not be able to just pick her up and and play play her anytime anymore is a little bit of a bummer uh but then she was a my other big thought is she was a gatekeeper for a lot of well 
she was a gatekeeper for for guardian for sure and now that she's gone uh i'm kind of scared for the potential of guardian winter for sure yeah prism did did feel like the right of of the meta triangle um prism definitely was a a point of that triangle and now that point is that point is gone right so that 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 aspect of whatever prism was right and it was kind of hard to kind of put her into necessarily like an archetype and flesh and blood is kind of notorious for that right you can you can kind of call these decks by by certain archetypes but in the end they're very they can be very fluid very flexible but you would have these um you know hero centric uh parts of the meta where you had your aggro which was like your rune blade then you had your guardian um and then you had your your prism and even coming in late here as uh prism was reaching ll status here it started to be a very aggressive heavy uh meta anyway so you didn't really have that that guardian pillar of that uh, of that meta for the last couple weeks here you know lots of fives right we went through rtn season uh, basically all on Phi and Viscerai and Briar kind of showed up uh, in mass. Phi went kind of by the wayside. Dash sprinkled in a little bit, but very much still Prism on the other end of things. And now that that's gone, right, We the meta kind of has to write a massive reset and figure out what the pillars are going um, to be. That, to that end, it's getting cold in here. Because uh, this past weekend, we had our first major tournament in the new meta, and it was the battle-hardened Columbus. Now, shot in the dark, Adam, what do you think was the most represented hero in the battle-hardened Columbus total metagame? I don't know. Was it old him? Very close. It was not. You can say it in the same tone now, was it Briar? And then we'll cut it out. I... Th- I- <laughs> I was gonna guess Briar, then I was like, nah. Ah, you're overthinking it. Way too much. Way too much. No, Briar Briar with fifteen point five percent of the meta was represented in Battle Hard and Columbus. Oldham was fourteen point five. So right neck and neck there. Um third, Dromai, ten point nine percent, fourth, Visrai at ten percent, Phi and Icelander tied at nine point one. Bravo 7.3%, Dash 5.5%, Dorinthia 4.5%, tied with Lexi, um, and other heroes, and Mass, another 9.1% of the meta. Uh, so when you look at the meta breakdown of that pie chart, that's a nice, healthy spread of slices. That's a that's a that's an evenly distributed uh, pie. I'm happy with whoever cut that that pie. Uh, it doesn't feel like it's off center. Someone's getting too much. Of 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 uh, one piece here, the top eight though, it gets a little chilly. Not gonna lie, the top eight of Battleheart and Columbus was uh, in descending order here. Uh, Matthew Dilks on Dash, in, uh, Inventor Extraordinaire David Reitenbach on Dromai, Charles Dunn on Oldham, Grandfather of Eternity, James Adams and Levi Rausch on Icelander, Anthony. Bugacci and Ryan Rich, both on Oldham Grandfather Returnity, and Peyton Laufenberg on Dromai Ash Artist. 
uh, battling their way through the top eight. Matthew Dilks uh, took it uh, all the way to the finals, as did Ryan Rich on Oldham. So the finals was a Dash versus Oldham matchup traditionally. Uh, and we've seen in the past, uh, if you've caught some of our live streams of the Flesh and Blood Flesh and Blood Team Competitive League, uh, we have covered a few Dash versus Oldham matchups, and it does does not go Oldham's way uh, more often than not. And that day, Oldham took it to Dash with Ryan Rich taking the battle hard in Columbus, piloting Oldham. Yeah, this is, um, man, you, you wish there was a stream for a match like that for the, cause I'm, I'm very curious as to how it went down and what, um, you know, like the, the, the right. Like right, what made it right. How did Olden pull that out? Cause it really seems to be, uh, right. It usually is difficult for Dash to to lose that. Right. It seems like it's always Dash's to lose. Um, we can we can theorize as much as we want until we see see the game play out in the deck lists. It's really hard to to piece those together. Yeah, I mean, I have a few thoughts behind that, but if I mean, yeah, did did. And I mean, I don't want to, I'm hesitant to like, even to, to, without having the full perspective, you know, just the full picture hesitant to say anything is like Matthew Dilks, for example, is a hell of a player and. Yep. He sure is. All right. Uh, uh, Canadian, correct? Yes. Yes. He is a Canadian. Definitely, uh, a contender for, uh, a strong Nats finish, uh, this year, uh, going into our our Nats, which is, as of recording this, uh, a week and a half away. <laughs> oh, that's a little more real than I expected it to be. Yeah, it's sneaking up on us. It's coming quickly. Uh, but yeah, so going back to uh, the the battle hard in Columbus, uh, yeah, it's just w- without, w- without seeing the deck lists, uh, it's really tough to, to speculate on what might have gone right or wrong for whoever in that game. Well, clearly it went right for um, the old him, but right, went went right for somebody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, it just it makes me really curious about what that matchup looks like going forward because I think we're going to see a lot of old him, and mm-hmm. if. If Dash is no longer a good counter, then it's like, what do you do? Um, apparently, Dromai might be a good, a good contender, uh, which I think a lot of people at first would think that doesn't that doesn't seem right with you know all the phantasm, but that's the rumor I'm hearing is that she might be a strong contender for. Uh, for for a good chunk of the meta moving forward, so tell you what, there is uh, Dromai feels like it's kind of easy pickings with some of the more aggressive decks, and then and then a rake the embers hits when they're on like four or five ash, and all of a sudden their board 
just explodes with ash wings. And you're like, ah, ah shit, this feels familiar. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's prism all over again. Instead, yeah, of... she does. She has a board state, and those dragons can be dangerous. I, I think it's right. Dromai is emerging. Icelander is emerging. Uh, Icelander has been almost like a novelty since Everfest, but you. These decks have been developed now over time, and I, it's kind of funny to me that there are there are these decks out there and these heroes, right, and these cards where when they're released, right, when they were released, no one was on Dromai. Dromai, right, everyone was down on it. It was the deck that wasn't going to be uh, wasn't going to be anything. It was in Azalea territory, right. It was just for casual people who just wanted a fun deck and now right that now it people have tuned it and have gotten better at playing it and now it it makes up a portion of the top eight yeah yeah uh, and i i've even seen in on in different uh chat streams people talking about their thinking that some of Dromai's, you know, struggles at the beginning were less about the deck and more about player error and not knowing how to play the deck effectively or not knowing Definitely. what, you know, not knowing what the, what they should be looking for. And I think people are starting to just figure that out and that's playing a factor too. People are just figuring out what her play style is. Um, and I think now that people are starting to figure that out, yeah, they're starting to get some success on her for sure. I think the same can be said for Icelander. I, Icelander particularly, you, you've been able to see progress in Blitz, and I think the Blitz was a for, foreshadowing of what was to come in CC. Uh, right? I, and I'd almost just discount Everfest Icelander because the weapon was different, the playstyle was different, it was just a different deck altogether. But once Uprising hit, it introduced these elements to it. And at the beginning, Icelander was it was a niche. And it wasn't quite there. And there was some talk of maybe an OTK ability uh, coming through. Um, and then... Uh, and then, and then like, skirmish season, Icelander started picking up some serious wins. And you, you could see players on in you know in blitz events all over and i i point to the fighters guild but it's a really good barometer of like what's happening in that in that environment there icelander has taken i want to say four of the last six or so um fighters guild uh, armories uh a couple of them by top four pro tour leal competitor shamir sami has been piloting icelander in blitz for ages now and he's and he's been taken down fighters guilds in the process and it's just icelander has become the big bad and blitz and now it's emerging as one of the big bads in constructed as well but i think you're starting to see a pattern here like the, you have a big three i don't know if i like the big three where it's at right now but it does seem that you have dromai icelander and oldham are right now your S tier? Oh, I think they're they're probably the S tier of the meta at the moment. 
other decks go work real hard to beat them real real hard i'll tell you i tell you what just to reinforce my point what you're not seeing everybody is is adam's going i don't know if you know what the fuck you're talking about but um i'm gonna justify my stance by saying that no matter what you choose outside of those three you have to account for them right there is no getting around your sideboard is dedicated to dromai it is getting ready for Icelander and it's hoping you can do something with Oldham and no conversation about a deck's viability ends without knowing what you can do against those three decks. There's significantly less chatter about what we can do to counteract Viscerize Rune Chant accumulation these days. I mean to talk about Viscerize Rune Chant accumulation in particular one that no one talks about enough is Irina's Prayer. I, you know, uh, not to. I actually have. I it. I would. I would not be shocked to see some Irina's prayers in the near future. I'll say that. It is a good. Is it a good? It's a good piece of tech. Yeah. Yeah. No. It. Uh, it can stop. You know. If if it, things go your way, like six rune chants all on its own. Yeah, if you played in the right deck, you might be might be a draconic illusionist, but you can definitely uh, put in put in some work. I really don't. I, I really don't like it. I don't like it. Not Arena's Prayer. I don't like. I don't like where we're at. I'll tell you, it is not. It is not fun to be an aggressive deck right now, and you haven't. I have not figured it out. I don't know if I'll be able to figure it out. I don't know if it's just Runeblade. I don't know if it's Channel Mount Heroic and Prey. Um, it is, it is increasingly obvious that it might not be Phi, but I'm not, I'm not sure it might just be me, but <laughs> going in, going into us Nats, right. I got, you have a week and a half. I've got two weeks and a half here before us Nats. And I know I want to take an aggressive deck, but I have, I've not discovered the one where I go, this is it, this Solves all my problems. Yeah, I I am in the same boat. Um, and time's ticking. I got to figure this out soon. Um, I don't know what I I don't know what's best to be on right now. Um, it might be it might be old him, and I don't want to play old him. And I'd love to play Icelander, but I don't think I can figure her out in time. And it's like, woof! I don't know what to do, man. Yeah, I think my my inclination would be go to, going to Oldham, but I have a, I, I don't want to play the deck where I know the best pilots of that deck are going to show up to the same place as me. Um, and not that I'm a stellar pilot of any any one particular deck, but I know at US Nats the potential for both Michael Hamilton and Charles Dunn piloting Oldham will be there. So like, what the hell am I going to do against those guys? I am not going to do, I'm not going to, it just won't work is, is what, it, what it would happen. It just, that it's a loss right there. So I got to make sure my, my chances to win are as, as great as possible. And it's usually not by being 
either the most popular deck or the one that I know is going to be piloted by like the people that the deck is associated with. It just usually doesn't work out. Yeah, that's that's a tough call. Uh, piloting, and you make a good point there about like picking the deck that you think gives you the best chance of success, not. Like, I think a lot of people try to think, well, what's the best deck? And it's not about what's the best deck. It's about what it's about what's the best deck for you. And mm-hmm. um, I don't that doesn't necessarily make the question any easier to answer, uh, but at least it, it helps you helps you figure out what direction you should be looking in. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that I'm struggling with myself is that the best decks are clearly like usually there's some some gray area some wiggle room right i'm an i'm an aggressive deck player it's what i like to do it's where i find the most happiness and find my greatest success is by finding the the right aggressive deck but at the moment it appears that just the aggressive archetype might be might be a tier but it is not nearly right it's it's not oldham it's not ice and it's not dromai and so knowing that you might be picking a secondary tier deck as you still your best chance to win knowing that your odds are a little more you know you know a little less than they normally would be in a similar situation because of where the meta sits right now. I think that's what's given me a little consternation. Yeah, that's totally fair. I'm in the same boat, man. Uh, Adam, Adam, I just a revelation just came. What's that? I know, I know what you should pilot. What's that? You, you know it in your heart as well. I know, I know a wildfire of aether. Oh, burns, burns in your heart. That would be something. You could, you can cut this part out, so that people don't know. You should totally run Kano. Oh, but if I f- cross paths with an eyeless cylinder, I'm screwed. Is it that bad? Well, it's not good. Interesting. I don't know. I, is it really? Is it like? Is I, I think I need to test it. I need to test it now. Okay, that's. I never even contemplated it, but a good spot for Kana right now, unless unless these are really garbage matchups. Yeah, but I don't know. But that's okay. where I I would I would think that that would be a very you uh, you centric pick right there if you can make it you can make it work. Yeah, try it out. I had. <laughs> um. I recently faced a, a Kano in testing and I just happened to just throw, I was, I built a briar list. I had three open slots left and I just filled it with arcane barrier. Uh, I tried similar to the kind of my blitz loadout. And then I, I popped on to flesh and blood online and uh, the Kano joined and, you know, Hey, good luck. Have fun. Frowny face for me because Kano's. And then we load the game up and he sees my setup is Null Rune hood, robe, and boots with um with shock charmers. 
as my <laughs> arm piece and he just in the chat just goes oh why <laughs> i just I was like man it's just your unlucky day i always respect wizard that's what scares me about playing wizard yeah just just the rogue like just the one who has had the worst experience with wizards and just goes ab4 just throws in the arcane lantern doesn't even have a weapon i mean It's it's when it's when you see like AB three plus shock charmers and your whole game plan is one big like hit. That's where it's like, yeah, definitely. And uh, Briar is running like Oasis respite right now, so you have two. There's two ways to take out wildfire, but you gotta you really gotta want it though. Most lists will not run that much arcane barrier. That was literally, and if I find three better cards, I still might take it out. I tend, I tend to like that setup, so maybe, maybe not. Just for me in particular, my as Briar, I know Kano is kind of like my. If someone shows up, I'm, I'm good with that. But, but yeah, with me being the caveat, test, test some Kano. Yeah, you know what? You know what? Yeah, I think we will. And uh, I'll see. I might. I I might not edit this out. This. Uh, this I, I don't right. care. But we may have had a breakthrough here. All right. God, does that mean I'm on Briar? Am I on Briar? I got. I got cold foil Kadachis. The left and the right, eh? I didn't get. They're facing the same way. The, the reversed oh. Kadachi was a hundred dollars more, and I was not prepared to do that to myself. So I still wanted I still wanted cold foil kadachis. So I got two two regular facing ones. Tell me you've got two of the opposite facing ones. Just very nice. Very nice. Yeah, that that reverse one is $150 compared to $50. I traded uh I traded a heart of fine Dell for it. <laughs> ah, son of a bitch. I'm almost, I'm almost there on Heart of Findel. I I saw one on Marketplace on sale for $140, and that's that's dropping. I still, think, I think they're going back up. Oh boy! I think I'm starting to, I'm starting to see Icelander play them. I've been seeing them. Uh, I haven't checked the lists lately, but just before like the meta switched up, both Bravo and Oldham were running them. Um, as as just like a you you can gain six life in a game with them. They were saying in some instances, but they were still like still dropping. I'll have to look if they if they if they're gonna start spiking up. I might have to now's the time. So Adam, I don't know if you know this, but there's a new set coming out, and it is coming out. November 11th that's uh three days before my birthday so uh if anybody's struggling on what to get me for my birthday hint hint it is it is indeed November 11th of uh, 2022 dynasty this was announced at pro tour lil along with some spicy spoiler cards to go with it and uh, we're going to do a little, just a little, little dive into, into the spoiler cards of Dynasty. 
so far. The new hero was debuted specifically. James White had a presentation in Lil to showcase Emperor Drakai of Asir. Uh, Emperor is a royal draconic warrior wizard hero. Uh, and its text box reads, You may only have red cards in your deck. Action. Pay three resources. Search your deck for command and conquer. Attack with it. Then shuffle. Uh, it has four intellect and 15 life. So, it's not a rune blade. No, no, no. No, not a rune blade. It is not an arcane warrior. <laughs> or an arcane combatant. What is a what is a, an arcane knight? An eldritch knight flowing with aether? No, it is not any of that nonsense. This is this is a warrior who's also trained in the school of wizardry, which is completely different than a runeblade whose signature is the mixed damage between the physical and the arcane. Completely different. This is completely different. <laughs> uh, I really hope... I So... I'm, All red you know, cards. I do think, like, from like a deck building standpoint, this is interesting. It is. It is. It is. It, it will. It will be. It will be different. It'll be unique. But a rune blade is a warrior wizard. I don't know. I don't care what you say. They literally just parsed the, it out and went. This is different. Thematically, which yeah. Is, which is fine. But don't, you know, the saying goes, don't piss on me and tell me it's raining. This is a rune blade. We all know. It. So you can have you can have only red cards in your deck. It is a very interesting restriction. Uh, I'm interested uh, to see what wizard cards get implemented into this deck. I think it's easy to slot in some warrior cards. But it really depends on what the weapon is as well. There has to be a weapon associated with it. But if there's a weapon associated with it that does damage, right? You can you can see some attack reactions, uh, iron song response, and things of that nature. Maybe depending on what it is. But what wizard elements get involved in here? I think is what will make the deck interesting. I mean, the fact that it's only playable in blitz is a shame because snapback would be so abusable in this deck i don't know i don't, I don't know if you knew this but there is a standalone booster set that's coming out in first quarter 2023 now if history has shown us anything it is that a young hero debuting in a supplemental set does not mean it will stay young hero forever The Icelander Stormwind? Is that her surname? Uh, I don't. I don't have her handy now. Hang but on. we do we do we do know Icelander is an adult hero that came out 
with Uprising. Yes. I, but in similar fashion. Um, one thing to point out, though, is Emperor is a legendary, sir. Yeah. Well, well and not majestic. Even spicier. Um, there is, I think, a marvel of it. There is rumors of a marvel. That is a pull rate of one in 10,000 packs or something like that. Yeah, I believe there was a distributor who posted that uh, in, in, I don't know if it was on Discord, but it was in a form of some some sort where the, the catch line was, you know, the Marvel version of the Emperor, the rarest card of all time, only available in one in every 10,000 boxes or packs. I forget which one it was. I think it was 10,000 packs. 10,000 packs. I believe the rating of a fabled was something like one in 400 or something packs. So that is, that is crazy. Uh, if that, if, if that is the case, I don't know why they would have that kind of information, but who knows? Um, so yeah, the hero on its face, very intriguing. The red restrictions interesting. The fact that you have to pay three resources to make Command and Conquer happen is interesting. You can only have two Command and Conquers in your deck, so you're really doing. You're, you've got to pitch twice, and then activate Furnace, or find you got to find some way to put two reds into your pitch zone, then activate Furnace with a red to gain your three resources to find Command and Conquer. Without using your action point. Without using your action point. That's right. That's a that's a that's a tall it's a tall order. Maybe that's where the wizard stuff comes in. Wizard as an instant. Wizard as an instant. But action. You you can't just wizard as an instant out of nowhere either. You're gonna have to. I don't know. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, right. It's very. It's, it's, I lead the charge. I don't know. It's draconic, right? It's draconic. So you do have access to generic draconic stuff. So like, there's, there is, there is a world where you phoenix flame, in flame, etc., etc. Blaze headlong, you know, has a has a spot in here where you're doing stuff like that, but. It just becomes progressively difficult, more difficult to get something into into the pitch zone with that, which I think might be where something like uh, the next thing that was spoiled uh, might come into play here. The Imperial Warhorn is a two-cost legendary majestic generic uh, item, uh, and its text reads, Action pay one resource, destroy Imperial Warhorn, choose any number of heroes, each of them chooses an ally, aura, item, or landmark permanent they control, destroy each permanent chosen this way. If you are royal, instead, you choose the permanents. We point back to the Emperor's uh, subtypes here, and the Emperor is a royal, draconic warrior wizard hero. So we do know that warriors, uh, royal here is a subtype. Yeah, super interesting. Um, 
makes you wonder what other things are going to interact with being royal and how else you can obtain it. Um, on its face, the ability to pick, so you have to be royal in order for you to choose, um, but being able to destroy an ally or a item or a landmark does does seem to have relevance in one meta or another, whether it's auras of some sort. If I look at Dromai, right, there's allies and auras. You can take out Blaze them all, or yeah, burn them all. You can take out a dragon. With that, if uh, if Briar gets spicy, you can take out Corsham. Um, if you are against Dash, right, any number of items with it, it is a one-time use, right? It is legendary, so you can only have one copy in your deck. It is a one-time use, and as we mentioned, you have to be royal to do that. So the Emperor can do that inherently, or you can wear this brand new headpiece. Uh, we are, of course, talking about the Crown of Dominion. Crown of Dominion does come in Marvel, so you will get, uh, there is an extended cold foil, spicy looking piece of art here. Uh, it is a generic equipment headpiece that says, Your hero is royal. When you equip Crown of Dominion, create a gold token. It has no block on it. So we have the ability to make your hero royal and the ability well and the um, the feature of creating a gold token uh, on so when you equip crown of dominion is is language I'm not uh, I'm not certain of so does that mean that like at the beginning of the game you get a gold token that's what i'm thinking is that like by equipping it they mean like starting the game with it that's when you get the the gold token unless we see in in uh dynasty a first uh an ability to change out equipment in game that would yeah, be interesting I, I have not heard the the verb equip in this game yet i have heard it in the other game magic has equipment all over the place you pay a cost the item stays on the board, you pay a cost, and you're able to put that piece of equipment onto a creature, and that creature then has an effect. There's a similar thing happening here. Oh, typically this would start on your on your on your person as a you know, as a headpiece. Um, but I don't think I've ever seen it referred to as equipped, like your, your equipment, yes, but I don't think I've seen the use of the word equip like that uh, before. So in addition to the royal, you also have gold. Gold is in Dynasty. We finally see what gold is. And to no one's surprise, pay two draw card. <laughs> Not the worst rate in the world. It's better than copper. Sure is. Sure is. Uh, also finally making cash in somewhat interesting here yeah uh sack one gold to draw two that's pretty good mm -hmm. for for essentially free card replaces itself plus one for the cost of a gold token if you're wearing the crown something that you naturally got at the beginning of the game anyways yep yeah pretty good 
Um, <clears throat> we do know that there are some additional pieces that are coming in Dynasty that were featured as, I believe, artist sketch proofs uh, in Leo uh, with some unofficial names attached to them. I believe one of them was called Lexi's Boots. Um, and there were things of that nature that looked really cool, but there wasn't anything official done with them. I believe one of the artists had them out there, but they were they were shown off and featured around. But it does look like we're going to have... Uh, you have the Emperor, you have the Crown, uh, and I believe you're going to have the Throne Room as something that becomes part of what makes Dynasty interesting. And in that Throne Room, you're likely to have... Um, several powerful pieces of legendary equipment uh, coming coming with us. We do know, for instance, that Azalea is getting some support in Dynasty uh, because our good friend Az from Go Again Gaming is has been officially announced by Chris Buley that he is getting an Azalea-based preview. Um, so there will be support uh, with all for all the classes in here and i'll be interested to see how much of that shows up as legendary equipment i have a feeling it'll be if anything like a majestic equipment i think we're going to see probably a bunch of those again in the set i would hope so i am a huge fan of legendary equipment um it can be i think it's some of the best i've gone on record as encourage a blade hold is the single best piece of equipment in flesh and blood in terms of uh, being like good for the game, right? It is, it's an accessible piece of equipment that does it, that does a thing it blocks and it does a thing that helps you win, but it's not game breaking, right? It doesn't, no one, no one has ever complained about courage of blade hold that I've known that I've heard about anyways. Um, but it, it, and it's at majestic level. So it's got, I think it's all the things going for it that I think that is the model of, of equipment going forward or from that point on that. I don't think anything before or after has hit that kind of mechanical and gameplay balance that courage is given. Right. Um, we do know that there will be the set configuration of Dynasty, which again is going to be released on uh, November 11th. There are going to be, yeah, here we go, set composition. There is one fabled, there's five legendary cards, there's 51 majestics, 81 rares, 109 commons, and 14 different marvels. The rarity distribution, there's going to be one cold foil per display, one rainbow foil per pack, uh, rare or higher, two per pack, and that means one rare plus one rare or majestic, and seven commons per pack. We do know the MSRP is increasing a little bit than we might be used to, $109 USD, uh, $109.90 USD for a booster box. Ah, inflation's gotten to the TCGs. Damn supply chain. Uh, but it, it is looking very interesting. I, I Supplementary sets have been a, pretty much a, a clear hit. I think uh, I think it's a good it's a good unique thing that the game has. I don't know I don't have a lot of reference, but uh, it seems like a unique thing that Flesh and Blood has. But I like them. A Crucible of War was great to open up. 
Uh, Everfest was fun to open up. Uh, I'm I'm happy to see Fab 2.0. I think Uprising Uprising is the best best set uh, for me since I've since I've started. It has a bunch of stuff that I like in it in terms of heroes. Obviously, I'm a big ninja guy, so Fi really spoke to me. But the ability to find all these like marbles and cold foils and like you know chasey items uh, is has been really really fun for me. For sure. Uh, I'm excited to see more of what they're going to do with the Marvel stuff in the set. Uh, I think they've been making that part really fun for sure. Definitely. And just based on what James White has already mentioned, uh, it does. he had mentioned that they held back some of the best cards that were meant for the Uprising heroes and put them in Dynasty. And that that makes me super intrigued. And it's funny that I've that you say that because I I know like especially speaking on Jeromai, some people have said that they just feel like she's missing a piece, and I know a lot of people are very hopeful that Dynasty is going to hold some really interesting pieces for her, especially. Mm-hmm. I would love to see some Draconic Ninja tech that utilizes Phoenix Flames a little more. I would like a little more. I would like a similar effect to Flame Call Awakening, uh, a fetchable, you know, something that can fetch a flame out of your deck. I think that might boost boost uh, the Phoenix form build a bit if you can, because all you have right now is Flame Call Awakening. It's just not enough. I mean, what? Wh- how do you print another card that does the same thing that Flame Call Awakening does without making a Flame Call Awakening? You you make fire roar arousal, and it is uh, it's a four it's a four attack that costs two. I don't know, and, and it that, fetches that was, a phoenix flame. That was the <laughs> the other thing. That was the only thing I could think of is that you make it yeah like a two for because it's one for three, so two for four would make sense. Yeah, it's a one for three. Yes, yeah. So four for two, which is sucks. Um, I don't know. You know, I really love Rise from the Ashes, um, but it's not. Right, it doesn't see it doesn't see a lot of play. But you could do a non attack action that allows you to fetch a zero cost maybe something with base one attack or less or something like that something that doesn't make it specifically a phoenix limb i don't even care if they call this flame call awakening junior just give me three more cards to do it i don't i don't need it to be pretty or give me something give me something let me start with uh give me another way to put it into the maybe that's it Maybe you put something into the graveyard instead. Maybe you have you have uh, an attack just, that instead of finding play trade in. Terrible idea. No, don't want to do that. It's got to say. It's also got to say draconic on it. That's that's the other just other part. Play there. your brand before you play your trade in. <laughs> but I can't. That's a flip off the top, is it not? Or is that? Yeah. With or is it trade-in? a discard? trade yeah. and you can discard from hand uh, and draw a card i don't want to do that that's 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 too many steps this this is we have it the the attack 
and it's got to be an attack. It'll be three for one. Go again. If you've played a red card, you can find a Phoenix Flame from your deck, put it into your graveyard, and it can be it can be Flame 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 Sleep. I don't know. It can be the opposite of Flame Call Awakening. Flame Sleep. <laughs> yeah, Flame Sleep. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I, it's Call. What's the opposite of Call? Flame. It's Fire. Hang up. Sleep. <laughs> sleepy time. What? <laughs> so that that would do it. But yeah, I, I just more access to Phoenix Flames is is really what I'd want because it's right. They're a liability at most, at best right now. Rather like. Drawing one is like one of the worst things you can do in a in a Phi deck, and uh, you know I don't think that's it. that's their intention. I don't think maybe it is. I don't know. I don't know. If I, Phoenix Flames are so intrinsic uh, into you know they're in, they're a part of Phi and it his hero ability. So the fact that they're not really they're not good is disappointing. It's it's easy enough to just throw one into the graveyard. But even in like in testing today, uh I was on a phi list and I was I got to I had a breaking ground, but in order to cast the or to play it, I needed a resource. So I fetched the I was able to fetch the Phoenix Flame for free and I pitched it to play breaking point. And I felt like that was the best use of that card. I lost I lost the flame for the rest of the game. I think that was like turn one. Um, but I lost the flame for the rest of the game, but I still feel like hitting the breaking point was worth it uh, for that. Yeah. Um, Seemed like it was either that or nothing, and I, I didn't want to do nothing. I was going to say, burn away is when I'm on the fence boat, because like late game I think it's great, but early game I definitely don't like it. Um, there is... <clears throat> burn away is an interesting card, but it, it, I think it just speaks into the balance that Fi needs to strike when... When talking about Phoenix Flames, because right, Burn Away is only great if you have extra flames in the bin. Right, if you have a flame that you will not use ever again, because you just don't have the the means. Like you're not running Rise from the Ashes, so the only way that you'll get something out of the graveyard is by activating Five. But you can only do that once per turn. So unless you're activating it as an instant on your opponent's turn, which is usually not advisable um then you uh uh like you're only going to get the one phoenix flame so if you have multiple phoenix flames in the bin now burn away becomes okay but if you have multiple phoenix flames in the bin that means you like you had to put in the flame call awakenings which is a below like it what it has it going for it is it's unconditional go again but otherwise it's a three for one which is pretty pretty below rate and if it's not getting that phoenix flame it's meh. so if you have more than one phoenix flame you you're usually running F- flame call awakening and if you're running more than right if you're running flame call awakening and the extra phoenix flame then you're running burn away but if you're not you don't need to run any of those so you can now you have six six cards you could uh, that could be better than than those that combination of cards yeah it's uh then it just comes down to I think what your your ultimately what your deck is trying to do and right building within that parameter. Yeah, it's interesting because they do like uh, so. Ethan Van Sant, Man Sant, his 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 testing 
testing phi and arguably has developed what what people are saying are, is the optimal phi list at the moment right that thing that phi lists change every day it seems and uh, of course if we go on to uh, the youtube channel you can see uh, my recent gameplay video with the calling phi list versus the calling dash list uh, where guest capolo piloted uh, piloted dash against me hashtag shameless plug um but the, you know Ethan's list is drastically different than that one, uh, but this is this is far too much conversation for what's what's a what is probably not not the deck to beat right now, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> Haven't I don't think I don't think it's quite there yet. I'm still, I'm not ready to give up on it, but I'm also prepared for the reality that it might not be the choice uh, I, I need to make. All right. Um, unless you guys have been living under a rock for the last couple months, one particular fan project has rocketed to the top of the mountain lately for Flesh and Blood, and that's the ability to play games via FleshandBloodOnline.com. Matt Folks himself actually has credited it specifically for enabling him to get the practice in that sent him over the top to win uh, Pro Tour Lil. Uh, players can't speak highly enough about it, and today we have on the creators of Flesh and Blood Online... Uh, with us to help explain why my productivity at work has hit rock bottom. Uh, Jodrick and Nate, welcome to the combat chain. How are you guys doing? Thank you. Hey guys, uh, thank you for having us. Oh, sorry. This is Nate. Uh, I'm Uta Monk, and I'll let Jodrick introduce himself too. Yeah, I'm Jodrick. You can find me uh, PVT Void sometimes also. Excellent. Um, we're just going to get right to it. Uh, We'll I'll shoot this one over to Nate first. Uh, Flesh and Blood Online is called a fan project. Tell us how you became a fan of Flesh and Blood. So uh, it started many, many years ago, right? <laughs> uh, you know, I've, I've always been a huge fan of card games. Um, it started with Pokemon when I was a kid, and um, I, I was especially into the, the shiny foil cards, you know, as you might imagine, being eight years old or whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, that's pretty much continued throughout my life. You know, in college, I started playing um, MTG. Um, since then, I've uh, just kind of gone from card game to card game. I played a lot of uh, Netrunner, Keyforge, things like that. Um, got, you know, pretty competitive with some of them. Uh, Netrunner in particular. Um, Fab, I first started, started hearing about on YouTube. And... Um, the the ability to do different things with each card really intrigued me that was one thing that i i was really attracted to because sometimes you know you're playing a card game you draw this card and you're like man i love this card i i don't want to cut it from my deck i just don't want it right now <laughs> and so uh that, that's one of the the really awesome things about fab for me is that uh, you have different opportunities to do different things with those cards and then uh, the other thing I really liked uh, is the the small variations on each card with the the pitch values. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I really liked about Netrunner, for those that are fami familiar, is there were a few cards that um, did very similar things, but with very subtle uh, differences in costs and the the trade offs. So you might pay, you might play a card that costs zero and gives you three money, or you might pay one that costs five and gives you nine, which nets you four. 
Um, and so that was, I would say, one of, definitely one of my favorite things about Netrunner, and to see that kind of being within the core of Fab is was really exciting to me. So, um, yeah, that, I guess that was my story of how I got interested. Awesome. Jodrick? Yes, uh, I've been playing Flesh and Blood since October last year, so it's almost a year now. Uh, I used to play way too much video games, and I, I stopped now. It's been maybe two years that I don't play video games at all, and I was trying to find something that is similar to video games, but could be a little bit healthier. So I started playing board games, for example, and like I played a little bit of Commander Magic at my LGS also. And one day I arrived to uh, to the LGS and one of my friends had those uh, Lexi and Oldim Blitz Precon. And he asked me if I wanted to play one. So he explained me the rules. We, play, we played it and I, I never looked back. I just enjoy it a lot and keep playing all the time. It has this... Uh, it's really all about the competitiveness of it and playing one and one like some kind of duel that I really enjoy and kind of bring me what the video games brought me, but I, I'm forced to to play with people uh, in person. Yeah. <laughs> now, Nate, it's funny that you uh, you bring up Netrunner. It seems like there's a, a commonality here. I come I come from Magic, uh, but we actually just had on recently Travis McDaniel's, who's who is known for. Uh, uh, part of the Sunflower Samurai team with Pablo Pintor, and all those guys are Legend Five Ring guys and Netrunner guys, but they all swear by Netrunner. Netrunner is like the best design game ever, is what everyone tells me. So, h- how much time do you have? Because I feel like <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had more, but yeah, but it just seems I, it's fun to see. Uh, uh, such an eclectic group coming converging into that game into mm-hmm. this game flesh and blood for one reason or another but i find netrunner is a name that keeps keeps coming up uh, i got with- really into netrunner you know i used to do a lot of the store championships and stuff like that um i think it's an excellently designed game especially being an asymmetric game um i do think it has some fundamental flaws i don't know how uh how deep you got into it, but um, there, there's a pretty big, I don't know if flaw is even the right word, but on the corp, um, if you discard too many agenda cards, if you draw them in the wrong sequence, it can be really punishing. And there was one really polarizing card called Jackson Howard that um, kind of helped fix that, but it was in an odd way. I, I'm probably gonna get a lot of negative comments for <laughs> For what I just said, how, many, okay. how many of those 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 old Netrunner folks are listening to the pod? They'd be like, right, oh, yeah. we're gonna fix oh, no. them up." But yeah, uh, I, I've got a friend, and uh, and we used to play Netrunner together a lot, and we still talk about Netrunner probably at least once a month, just using sure. it as like an example of here's some great elements of of game design yeah. that, that they've had. It just keeps coming up. So and, and that seems to be the big thing, right? The design space was was excellent uh, there, Jodrick. Tell me what you what you do here on Flesh and Blood Online. How what are your guys' roles? How how does this all work here? How how big is your team? Is it just you guys? Is it we we are an open pro we are an open project and we accept uh, any contributor that want to help. Really, we have uh, around twenty contributor on the I think on the Discord or something, mm-hmm. and everyone give 
and do what they want. You know, if you want to contribute a lot, you're welcome to do so. If you want to contribute for one specific thing, I think people are also open to that. Uh, me personally, uh, I was a player for two or three months and I was uh, reporting a lot of bugs. Yeah, I think I was uh, reporting a dozen of bugs per day. And at some point, I just decided that uh, I would like to do more than just report them and try to fix them. And I started helping uh, Nate for for a couple of months to fix those bugs. But I also tried to improve the, the UI. So the current UI that is there is uh, most of my work with a little bit of help with uh, a lot of feedbacks from some UX designer that we have. Uh, and also, I do a little bit of marketing at the moment. Like I'm the guy that was in Lille, that I met Adam in Lille, for example, and I met other content creator. Uh, I created the Twitter to try to start talking to people yep. and to try to put a face on the on the website, yeah, so that people know a little bit who we are and that they know mm -hmm. that we are open to talk. And I think that's uh, that's the majority of uh, what I'm doing uh, at the moment, yeah. I feel we are kindred spirits, you and I. <laughs> uh, Nate, this isn't a new project by all means. This this seems this was around for a little bit. Uh, recently, it it did explode. What was the catalyst for that explosion? Was it the uh, the recent update that seemed to have kind of changed the course of where this was going? Uh, can you tie it to Players talking about the game. Tell me about the I blame Jotrake. It's Jotrake's fault. <laughs> he did. He I did, I did his role right. quite well. Is what you're saying? I think. Uh, yeah. So he he kind of already uh, hinted at, at a lot of what I think really started getting people's attention, which was, um, you know, the UI update that that he did was the the first really big thing. And then um, as soon as he started the the Twitter account, that's when I noticed things started to really take off. And then I think the the final and most recent thing was when he went into um, Lyle and, and was just talking to folks about it. And, and I think he just got really people really excited. So I'll let him answer this question, or maybe that answers the question. <laughs> that answered the question, but 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 I think you forget everything that you did, yeah. Because I, I'm I'm kind of doing the 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 front work, and like th this project is Nate that started it, and it's been going on for like more than a year already. Uh, and I just joined like four months ago, helping him. So there's still a a lot of the groundwork has been done by by Nate with the with the with the year and. Uh, that this project I'm code, is... I'm the code monkey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone's got to have uh, got to have the brains of the operation, right? <laughs> no, no shame in that. Uh, so it, with this spike of popularity, uh, there is there is always going to be some growing pains as you accommodate the increased scale in use. Uh, talk to us about how that is going, how that is affecting your infrastructure, and what you are uh, doing to to address this explosion of of players yeah so this is probably a me question um, <laughs> so uh it, it has been a challenge uh there's been multiple challenges um one of them is just that um I've never really tried to configure and host a, a website at this sort of scale before. You know, um, I've hosted the, the Fab Online site for the last um, 
year or so is is about when i started um like really putting out there as a site that people could visit um but the scale that we've seen has um exposed some shall we say inefficiencies in the way that the site was designed and so uh it's been kind of a learning process um you know learning how uh like a, a web server works and all the different bottlenecks that you can run into. Uh, what we found is, you know, we fix one bottleneck, first it'll be bandwidth, and then you run into server memory, and then it'll be CPU, and then and then once you figure all the big things out, you get into these little things like, uh, well, shared memory scalability limits, and then you've got uh, Apache workers. <laughs> whatever the technical term for those are uh which is just some some web server configuration that we had to look into so yeah that's a big part of it is just um uh learning about all the different little scale scaling factors that you need to adjust as the site grows um but but that's been a lot of fun um other other challenges from growth the other big thing that we ran into was how to deploy updates so it used to be nobody really played on the site. It was mostly just me and and my friends <laughs> and, and you know, like online friends, people that I'd met online that just really wanted to play. Um, and so uh, if, we, if I needed to do an update, I could just send a message in the group chat, be like, hey, FYI, I'm going to do an update. Or, you know, even more likely, there just wouldn't happen to be anybody playing online at that time. Um, and now, any pretty much any time I go on the site, there will be 30, 40, 50 games going on, uh, and you can't you can't just do that because it's going to break most, if not all, those games for a lot of the updates that we do. Right. And so, a, a big part of the challenge, and you know, you, we have to be respectful of people's time, right? Like, uh -huh. I, I we we have unfortunately had server crashes and and things like that but um i do want to let everybody know we do as much as we can to avoid that um and that was a big part of what i was uh trying out yesterday was a new update method to make it so that um we could make big updates like that without having to take the full server down without necessarily um, impacting games in progress and also making it easier if there's a problem found with the new update, then we can kind of flip back to the old deployment while we kind of uh, work through some of those issues. Um, and for the most part, I think what we had tried was pretty successful. Um, there are just a few lessons learned, things that I um, forgot to do that I needed to do for the new deployment, but I think the next one should be a little bit smoother. Now, do you, do you have a, a projection of sorts of how how much bigger this can get that you expect it to get? Like, how do you? There's there's going to be a percentage of the player base that you have now. Are you expecting to get, uh, you know, ten percent more, twenty percent more, ten thousand players, fifteen thousand players? What what does that look like to you? I expected to cap out at about 50% less, to, yeah. to be honest. Uh, I'm pretty, I, I'm a little surprised to see uh, where we've capped out. Um, we, I'm not too worried about uh, where we eventually would cap out. I, we've, I think we've got a pretty decent scalability plan in place um, to be able to, to scale the game. So right now, um, it's just, it's all hosted on a single web server, 
Um, and we've already got a plan where we could theoretically um, split it out so that it's load balanced behind multiple game servers and then just have one kind of be the main menu. And I'm, I'm pretty confident with that kind of strategy, we could even ha see thousands of simultaneous games. Um, but, you know, if we were to see that kind of like 100% growth a day um, to get to that point, like next week, there would definitely be some, some more, uh, you know, short term, hopefully disruptions, but I'm, I'm pretty confident we'd be able to get there if we needed to. You know, it's going to happen, right? Like LSS is so good on this game. <laughs> and like every set that released, like the, the boom of uprising, we saw it, like wait until dynasty goes out, like it's going to boom again. And like. I think this this game is go is gonna go far and like it's gonna it's gonna keep booming and I hope we can offer like an accessibility to this game uh, oh. to everyone yeah everyone that doesn't have a game a local game store in their city everyone that doesn't have necessarily friends yet to to play it like I really hope that uh, this accessibility will just make the game grow even bigger and the community even bigger. So with the with the. Uh the expansion of a player base comes the collection of data uh one hot button topic is the aggregation and dissemination of the data that you guys have been able to collect uh from games played so matt folks brought this up in our last episode here uh there is an underlying concern within the community that the data you're collecting is one of the ways that flesh and blood uh could have solved metas and uh has the potential to homogenize formats and deck choices uh, some may point to Magic the Gathering Online as a similar online client with that has some culpability in creating uh, what they've considered stale formats due to the sheer number and speed in which games are played and archetypes established. What is your goal with the data that you're collecting, and how do you address those concerns? I, I have to say that I, I, I doubt this concern. I understand where they come from, but I really feel like that a stale meta will will come more from a, from a design of the game. I really feel like we have such an amazing meta in, in Flesh and Blood and things are, I, I don't feel like things are gonna get solved faster. Like there is such, it's such a big aspects of the competitive games to have, uh, to do meta call and bring those decks that do well against other deck and everything. And I feel like this is something that you will only be able to analyze uh, after every event, yeah, almost every weekend there is new events and new stats and new deck that reach the top. Uh, on our website, we get the data from every game, but it doesn't really represent what's competitive or not. Yeah, people are there to try their uh, try their favorite deck or try new things, and we don't necessarily collect only competitive data yeah we collect data from everyone so it can be newer player it can be professional player it's really a mixed match of everything and i i don't think at the scale that we have at the moment it's going to solve any meta i also think that what's going to make the meta solve might just be if flesh and blood in general get a lot more players with time yeah i think magic has solved meta because you have million of people that play it and try to solve this meta and I don't think we have uh, that flesh and blood has the the player base to to fix that yet 
So, uh, yeah, there's a couple of points I, I think I would like to add to that, too. Um, so one is, um, you know, people are already collecting data like this today and, and kind of presenting it. And they, they certainly would have had a, a lower sample size, but you could argue that they would have uh, higher quality data as well um, by being able to attribute games to particular tournaments, things like that. Um, as far as goals for the, the data, um, I, I actually see the data as an opportunity to kind of break up stale metas. Um, you know, we had metas that were regarded as stale in the past, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking like chain and pre-bans and um, also the, the Cheerios Briar pre-bans. Um, I, I personally think that chain... I. I I had pretty good success, you know. I'm not a pro player, but at least locally, I had pretty good success um, with a Dory Axis deck fatiguing chain. Um, mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I I think that if people had stats and they could see, you know, I'm I'm clicking on chain. I want to click on a like the the uh, the Dory matchup. And if people are seeing, oh, somebody's having really good success running Tunic and Steel Blade Shunt against chain. Um, maybe we should look into a deck that goes for a fatigue strategy from turn zero, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea is to uh, give players the opportunity to say, man, Chain is taking over this format. What's strong against Chain? I want to put that on my sideboard with the idea that 60% of my games are going to be into Chain. And if I'm if I'm gonna get a, a pretty decent win rate into that meta boogeyman, that that's really gonna impact, impact my ability to kind of uh, do well in a tournament, right? People talk about dark horse decks. You know, what is the deck that nobody's expecting that's gonna do really well into the meta? I think that these kind of stats are gonna give people ideas, things to to start testing against. Uh, to figure out what what would might that dark horse deck kind of look like. Um, an example that I used recently was I was really struggling against uh, Mountain Briar very recently. You know, deck very very similar to uh, what Matthew Folks ran in the uh, the Pro Tour. Uh-huh. Uh, I was struggling against that, and so I started looking at the stats. I said, well, what's strong against Briar? I looked at virtually every single matchup. One of the number one cards uh, against Briar was that all you got. You know, the defense reaction where if it blocks something two or less, you get to draw a card. Um, That may be blindingly obvious to you guys because, you know, like Rosetta is a two attack, so that's basically always going to be on, but it wasn't obvious to me. Um, And so I saw that, and I immediately went to TTG player and I bought three, that all you got. <laughs> and now, now I'm testing it out on my deck. Um, so that that's kind of the, the main goal for the stats. And that's what I use it for personally, is not to figure out what is the number one deck, but really how do I counter that number one deck? How do I counter what I'm struggling against? Now, in addition to uh, collecting the data, you've had uh, some partnerships recently with uh people like kugani gaming um and i believe fabbrary.net if i'm saying that right uh can you mm-hmm. talk to us about some of the collaborations that you have been uh a part of and are planning in the near future 
Yeah, so uh, the collaboration with Kugane, one of the the big reasons for that is when we created that collaboration, we didn't have the technical infrastructure to be able to make the stats available to everyone. Um, at that time, it was all run on the game server, and it was a very performance-intensive process. And so... Um, we uh, we decided to say, okay, let's let one person have access to this instead of just anybody, because we knew if 100 people were all trying to look at those stats at the same time, there was a pretty good chance it would, it would crash the game server. Um, and so that was one reason that we kind of sought out that partnership. Another reason is just because some of these stats can be kind of misleading. Um, you know, the sample size, especially for the cards, is really small. Even with thousands of games played, the sample size is really small. And it's also really vulnerable to the actions of individual players. So one example is when we had the blue Sigil of Solace challenge a couple of weeks back, we had one exceptionally strong Dorinthia player play uh, like, I don't know, a hundred games with Blue Sigil of Solace. And so that week, the, the number one win rate Dorinthia card was Blue Sigil of Solace. <laughs> Does uh, that mean... That, should, that was Tower Number 9, everybody. Tower Number 9, spiking the Blue nine. Sigil <laughs> Challenge. Such a strong player to do. That... <laughs> So, you know, you really need to use uh, discretion and some, um, I don't know if like common sense or, or maybe wisdom in the interpretation of these stats and making sure you're asking yourself, well, why is this the way that it is? Because I don't think anybody's going to claim that Blue Sigil of Solace is the best Dorinthia card, right? Um, and so it's really just one kind of kind of data point. I, I will I will contend that Blue Sigil of Solace is not unplayable, by the way, but that's a topic for another day. Uh, I would also like to add that uh, the stats are not are not available on the website for everyone. Yeah, it used to be uh, we, we when we did this partnership, it was to one person, but uh, we did it uh, we put it today as uh, open to anyone that goes on the website. So if anyone else is interested to check those, they're there and. Uh, as for partnership with other people, we don't even we don't really have a plan to partnership with anyone. We would like to be able to support all the content creators in general. And one of the things that we would like to implement is that if you're a content creator and you have some Patreons, for example, and you would like to have in-game reward for your Patreon, that it could be something that could be added. So if, for example, you decided to make some combat chain sleeves and you would like to have them in-game for your Patreon, we would be able to integrate that inside the game so your Patreon could be showing off their sleeve and kind of like supporting the content creator in some way. I, we know that it's something that LSS uh, really like to support content creator and we want to go in the same way as them and try to make that happen for for everyone. Yeah, it wouldn't be, we wouldn't be selecting content creators, mostly bring us your, 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 the picture of your sleeve that you want to put there and we're going to put it there. Yeah, that's uh, one of the project. Yeah. Adam, got to make some sleeves, put them on. We, we got to get something going. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. 
Fabo, is this is this a thing? Is this? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, you're Fabo, you're Fabo. That's Can exactly we make this not be a thing? <laughs> uh, Fleshandbloodonline.com doesn't roll off the tongue quite as smoothly. That's, so that's fair enough. You know, you can't pick your own nicknames, unfortunately. But you got stuck with Fabo. That's um, yeah. Trevor, so you, did uh, you guys want to hear more about the February collaboration, or sure. Let, let's let's hear it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, there's not a whole lot more there. It was just an, an idea that that he had, and and he approached us, and we were like, sure, let's do it. <laughs> uh, he he wanted our game stats, and we he set up an endpoint for us with you know like a, an authorization key and and all that other stuff, and so uh, we sent him our games, and um, and and now he's got them, and he's doing really cool stuff with them. By the way, I love that stats. Uh, it is, like it's, the, it's a good tool result. to have. It's definitely a yeah. great, great tool. Uh, data, and, um, right? Data in general, just right. The more you have, the more you can do with it. So mm-hmm. access. And we are that. open to other partnership with anyone. Really, what we need is just an idea and suggestion, and people that want to work on it. And you just approach us, and we are open to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we're we're I I I think you've probably seen the the pinned post from FabDB, like their pinned tweet. That's, they they've approached us, and and we're trying to work with them too. And pretty much, if you guys want to work with us, come and talk to us because we want to work with you because we're players too, and we love these kind of cool tools that that you all are coming up with. Excellent. Jodrick, you uh, you brought up wanting to emulate LSS by collaborating with content creators. Uh, that brings up a good point. Uh, as your popularity gains steam, the lingering question uh, about is, what about LSS and this? What happens with LSS? Have you spoken to or been spoken to by anyone at LSS about what you're doing? And is there any long-term concern about the viability of Flesh and Blood Online uh, as an independent fan project? We we did try to to contact them a while ago. Uh, Nathan did contact their their services, and they they give us some information concerning their terms and services, uh, what we could do and what we couldn't do. Uh, we didn't hear anything officials about James White, or we didn't receive any communication since the boom of popularity too. Uh, I know that. And Lil James gave his opinion that he was not, uh, he didn't, he didn't mind about Flesh and Blood Online as long as it stay compliments, and that's really what we want to aim to. Uh, we love Flesh and Blood, and we want this game to thrive, and we want this game to be as good as possible, and we really don't want to remove anything from the in-person play. So we really just want to make it more accessible to more people, and. We didn't like personally uh, TTS and what you could do from home. Uh, I personally couldn't bring some friends home to play Flesh and Blood more than once a week. So I just needed more and I wanted to play it more often. So hopefully our vision uh, can go hand in hand with LSS vision. We really want to to get our vision as close as what LSS would want. and. They they should know by now, I believe, that uh, we are open to talk if they ever want to to interact with us. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. So, what is what is next for Flesh and Blood Online and for you guys? What's what's on the docket here? What is the next? What's what does twenty twenty two look like? What are your plans for twenty twenty three? Twenty twenty three. That's a long time. <laughs> Long term planning. 
my plan for next week is to make sure we've got the server capacity for you know 100 concurrent games or whatever <laughs> never mind 2023 um, so yeah i mean we've got a lot of stuff planned um you know this is really just a passion project you know we all do have um jobs and things like that and so uh we're pretty limited to to doing this in our spare time but we really love doing it um what i've been working on is the server scalability that's a big thing uh fixing bugs we just released a really huge patch um last night that changed some kind of core stuff and so a lot of this morning since it's a it's a holiday in the u.s uh for me has been focused on um you know trying to to patch up some of those bugs from last night uh and then also uh we've got another member on the team that has been working on kind of like a a secret tech project which is a alternative front end um i think he posted it on twitter so i probably shouldn't really say that it's a secret at this point but um i'm, I'm working on doing kind of a collaboration with him making sure that he's gonna get all the data that he needs from the server to be able to display it on the new client and then eventually also be able to talk from the new client to the server and so that, that's another kind of to-do item today um, other things coming in the the farther future, you know, um, FabDB, we'd love to start um, doing more of the stat sharing uh, with them. We've been kind of talking about, you know, Teclo Labs, which is uh, one thing that um, they have that has a lot of card data, things like that. And then I think, um, you know, if they could get some interesting deck stats as well, that would be pretty cool. Um, and then, uh, like Jotrick kind of mentioned before, working with content creators, there's a couple of things that we're working on. So one is the ability for people to kind of award badges. You guys might have seen the badges that we have. So we're working on functionality where content creators can just give other players a badge that's kind of like a, like a business card, so to speak. Um, and then the other idea was like, uh, the custom card backs or, or maybe eventually play mats, things like that. So, yeah. And if you guys, like, if you guys are interested, let's talk after and, and we'll make it happen. All right. Excellent. Jodrick, what's, what's on, what's on your plate? On my plate. I, I really don't have any plan for, for the long term on this thing. Uh, really I'm happy to be learning every day. Uh, and, keep spreading the word around to be honest i'm i'm in it to learn about the game uh i'm i'm judge i'm a judge level one at the moment i would like to, i i really love how it's uh, i'm learning new rules and i would love to keep doing that to a higher level in the future and keep learning about coding because it's really it's something i learned a long time ago and i didn't do it since a long time so now it's been four months that i'm really enjoying it and to be honest, I just want to do more flesh and blood. It might be any anyway. I want to travel. I want to keep judging. I want to keep playing it, and uh, that's my my only goal so far. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, guys, we did it. That was efficient. Uh, we are going to uh, wrap it up. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Jotrick, for joining us. Thank uh, you very much for on the us. channel. Um, Thanks for having us. Plug plug your stuff. Where can we find you? Flushingblood.com. 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at uh, fabtcg uh, underscore online. Uh, if you go on our Twitter, you should find our Discord where you can leave feedbacks, bug report, or any uh, feature you would like to see on the website. And we also have the, the link to our Patreon here there if you want to uh, support us. And we'll have we'll have all of those in the show notes. So make sure you just send them over to us after we're done here. And uh, they'll be uh, part of the episode. Uh, Nate, where can we find you? Find me? Yeah, if we want, if we oh. want to. How do we find you? Uh, the Discord is the best way to, to get in touch with me. You can just um, mention Uta Monk. I don't know. Sorry, I don't do a lot of social media stuff. That's all right. <laughs> find find Jotrick and Jotrick will find me. All right. <laughs> all right. Don't find Nate. Find Jotrick. All right. Uh, you can find The Combat Chain uh, on YouTube, searching The Combat Chain Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at The Combat Chain. You can find myself at Pat Smash Good, and you can find Adam at Fomtoolery TCG. Now, gentlemen, we have one last piece of business before we close out. Uh, we close out a very specific way every episode. I say until next week, and we all in unison say we are closing the combat chain. Uh, and it comes out beautiful. This will be the most people that we've had do it. You guys want to join in for this one? Sure, let's yes. do it. All right, all right. All right, everybody. Thanks again to the guys from Fab Online for joining us uh, for this interview. And I think that's going to do it. So until next week, we're closing the combat chain. Nate, best one yet. I got you. You were right on there. Heard it. I think that was actually really smooth. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you.